to Out of the Box Radio with me, your host, Christine Blasdale. Out of the Box Radio is a weekly podcast of audible ear candy dedicated to bringing a fresh perspective on this thing that we call life. And each and every week, we're going to be diving into the topics that matter most with lively conversations on issues such as health, wellness, and transformational healing, all with the goal of creating a better world and becoming a happier human being. I will be your tour guide for this epic adventure, and each and every week we're going to be embarking on a journey with the ultimate goal being transformation to our highest potential. And now, let's get out of the box. In February of 1962, President John F. Kennedy said, We seek a free flow of information. A nation that is afraid to let the people judge the truth or falsehood in an open market is a nation afraid of its people. On November 29, 1802, Thomas Jefferson, the principal drafter of the Constitution and Bill of Rights, said, The only security of all of us is in a free press. Mark Twain, America's greatest writer and early anti-imperialist, said, There are laws to protect the freedom of the press's speech, but none to protect the people from the press, and later added, If you don't read the newspapers, you're uninformed. If you do, you're misinformed. You, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, do solemnly swear. I, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, do solemnly swear. That you will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. That I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. As 1963 came on, and the agency is more and more lustful about getting into Southeast Asia, it finds itself with a president who has made a decision to withdraw the troops we had. Vietnam represents more in raw materials than any spot available to us in the world. They had to get into Southeast Asia, and only one thing was blocking them, and that was a man with reddish-brown hair, about 5 feet 11, and that's all. And for a major intelligence agency, that's like removing a fly from the table. And will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help you God. So help me God. Put me on, Bill. Put me on. The motorcade is coming by here. The presidential car coming up now. We know it's the presidential car. You can see Mrs. Kennedy's pink suit. There's a Secret Service man, Spread Eagle, over the top of the car. We understand Governor and Mrs. Connolly are in the car with President and Mrs. Kennedy. We can't see who has been hit, if anybody's been hit, but apparently something is wrong here. Something is terribly wrong. Here is a bulletin from CBS News. President Kennedy shot today just as his motorcade left downtown Dallas. He was wounded in an automobile driving from Dallas Airport into downtown Dallas, along with Governor Connolly of Texas. They've been taken to Parkland Hospital there, where their condition is as yet unknown. Uh, the assassination would not have been, uh, would not have been attempted without, uh, without assurance that certain members of the Dallas police force were going, were going to cooperate. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Mm. Hello, everyone. I am Christine Blasdale, and that was a small snippet clip from an incredible documentary that I am so very honored and uh, ooh, very humbled to be presenting to you this hour. That's called The American Media 
and the second assassination of President John F. Kennedy. And I'm very, very pleased to have joining me in studio the film's director, Mr. John Barber. And you may recognize his voice or when you when you hear his voice, you'll may you also may rec- recognize his name. Uh, John is a, has been known as the Godfather of reality TV. He's a, as well. He's a, an actor, a comedian, and television host, and is best known, I believe, for his um, his NBC reality television series, Real People. When was that, John? Back in the nineteen seventy nine. Oh, I love the seventies. Welcome, John Barber. Welcome to KPFK, Christine. I can't tell you. First of all. How honored I am to be here. And you moved me so much with that surprisingly brilliant and emotional introduction to the first couple of minutes of my movie. You know, I am one of the founders (laughs) of the 99%. With real people, I almost got to be the 1%. I am thrilled to be back in Los Angeles because this is where my career started on the uh, founding the AM show, then... Ten years as a film critic for Los Angeles Magazine, five years at KNBC, and then Creating Real People, which became the number one show in television at one time. Christine, that show got a 50 share, which means that one out of every two television sets was tuned into that show. And then in 1992, I had the opportunity to make the Garrison Tapes, which was part one. And this, of course, is part two. And I am so pleased to be back here and sitting with you and talking to your audience and maybe in some way repaying you. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I'm going to tell you, um, and I'm going to let our listeners know, I've been doing this type of, you know, I've been reviewing uh, documentaries and films and from wonderful filmmakers. And I will say that this is so something that I could fully embrace and stand behind and, and, and stand up and be proud of uh, to, to present to our listeners. And I want to congratulate you on a uh, phenomenal film. Uh, to give people a little bit of, of an idea, the, uh, um, the American media and the second assassination of President John F. Kennedy, uh, in, in a nutshell, tells the story of how the CIA took over the media, the corporate media, that you know, the the the, the news, the television news, the uh, newspapers, radio uh, outlets, with uh, something called Project Mockingbird, and this was to create real, actual fake news, as as uh, as we term it now, to pursue their foreign policy, military objectives. Of course, back then in Cuba and Vietnam, and really the world. Uh, as we know it. And it also tells the story of President Kennedy's war with the CIA, which got him in some big trouble uh, over their lust for permanent war. But um, also what I really appreciate about this, because I've dealt with this myself, it tells your story, John, about your um, the challenges and the struggles that you faced in just getting a media platform for your the interview that you had done with Jim Garrison. Now, for people who are maybe not aware of of uh, of, of the assassination, the of what happened afterward, especially, can you tell our listeners a little bit about who is Jim Garrison and why should our listeners know who he is? Jim Garrison is probably the most courageous American whoever lived. I've met three geniuses in my life. One was Jim Garrison, one was Buckminster Fuller, the scientist, and the other was my son. You want to know something 
everything wonderful that's happened in my life, Christine, has happened by accident. And all the terrible things that happened to me were those things that were well planned. It has taken me 47 years to tell Jim Garrison's story. And the thing is, I am not a conspiracy theorist. I, you know, when this first happened, when, when John Kennedy was shot in 1963, I was a stand-up comedian. And I was booked in the hungry eye. My second professional job was in 1963, the greatest nightclub in America where Mort Saul started, Barbara Streisand, Bill Cosby, Jonathan Winters, Lenny Bruce. I was booked in in September, and most of my act was about the Kennedys. And you might remember Von Meter. He did a, an album, sold 5 million copies in 10 days, called The First Family. As a matter of fact, John Kennedy talks about it in this documentary. So I would, I had no, and I wasn't a citizen at the time, so I had no interest much in American politics, but I did write good material. I was invited back to open on November 26th, which is three days after Kennedy's mm. birthday. Mm. So I was in Los Angeles in my apartment when the news came over around noon that he had been shot. Now, I'm ashamed to say this, but the truth is that I wasn't worried about John Kennedy. I was worried about my act. Mm -hmm. And I went back on November 26th, and looked, and they were empty houses. Then the following week, I had to open in Fresno with a place that had 600 seats. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. I'm going to bomb in that place. It was sold out. It was the first time I realized that there were people in this country who hated John Kennedy. Well, mm. years later, quite by accident, do you remember a wonderful announcer in town named Mario Machado? Mm-mm. Very successful here in town. And he, he, he saw me at, uh, at, at the Ice House where Steve Martin was breaking in his act. And he came up to me and he said, I just auditioned for a show called The AM Show and you should do it. You should go in there and audition. I said, well, Mario, I can't do that. I'm a comic for crying out loud. He said, yeah, but you do topical stuff. They might like you. So I, uh, now, you won't find that kind of companionship in show business anymore. You won't find it in America anymore where people are helping people. I mean, it's like dog eat dog now. I auditioned against 45 people, some very famous, and I got it. And in three months we took it from 0.03 till it was bumping heads with the today show now jim garrison arrested clay shaw in 1967 i got the show in 1970 but i was still a comic in 67 i believed as jim garrison did jim garrison was in a he said he was in the military he was an authority figure he believed his government he never thought he believed the warren commission in other words and I kept saying to my friends, you know, the government has been bashing Garrison for two years from 67 to 69. They keep saying he's a nut, he's going to fall on his face. You know, why don't they let him fall on his face? But they kept getting in his way. So I lost a couple of friends over that. Now I get the AM show and quite, it's all over with. The Clay Shaw trial is over with. There are a lot of things about the Clay Shaw trial that I'm going to tell you about in a second because I learned about it. I was in a bookstore, Larry Edmonds Bookstore on Hollywood Boulevard, and I see this book, Heritage of Stone. Jim Garrison, isn't that that DA? And I pick it up. 
I stood there, Christine, for four hours reading the book. I couldn't move. I couldn't put it down. I learned, for example, that he had to take Time Life magazine to the Supreme Court to get the Zapruder film released for the trial. I learned that one of the doctors at Bethesda, his name was Fink, is brought in as, a, as part of the defense team, proving that the Kennedy was shot from the rear, but under cross-examination, and not by Garrison, by his staff, they found out that Fink said he was not even allowed to perform the autopsy. Nobody was allowed to perform the autopsy because General Curtis LeMay prevented it. Now, I didn't know any of this stuff then. This is the assassination of, of a sitting president. And of no a one was, sitting <laughs> president. And no one was allowed to perform an autopsy. Nobody was allowed to perform an autopsy. And at one point, Dr. Hume, who was supposed to perform the autopsy, hollered out, who's in charge here? And the place would fill with generals and admirals. Now, mm. I'm going to get back to how smart Jim Garrison is in a minute. But another thing in the book... When he arrested Clay Shaw, Garrison ordered character assassination has nothing to do with the assassination of a president. To protect Clay Shaw and his case, he went through a grand jury. Then he went to a panel of three judges. Now, we have on camera the defense attorney for Clay Shaw. His name is Diamond, and he admits to this on camera. He wanted to prove his client's innocence. He introduced the 26 volumes. The three-judge panel threw out the Warren report, claiming it was not an investigation. It was only hearsay. It had never been an investigation. Now, had the national press reported that, that fraud... That criminal attack on Garrison would have ended and Lyndon Johnson would have been deprived of the presidency. The whole country would have probably collapsed. And to show you how smart Garrison is, at the very beginning of this, when you played that wonderful soundbite, Garrison was the most articulate man. He had this great, incredible sense of humor and this sense of language. You notice how he described John Kennedy. The only thing standing in their way was a five foot nine inch Irish American with red hair. I mean, who else would talk like that? And for them, it's just wiping a fly off the table. When he arrested Clay Shaw and David Ferry, David Ferry later supposedly committed suicide. He was another one was murdered. He investigated the origins of the Central Intelligence Agency. Once he found out Shaw and Ferry and Oswald were with the CIA, he researched it, and this is what he found out. Central Intelligence Agency was created in the mid-50s, signed into law by Harry Truman, who on his deathbed said it was the biggest mistake I ever made in my life. Now, what nobody knows now, because they won't tell you, Iran is the big enemy. Iran had a democratically elected president in 1954. He was a teacher named Mossadegh. He nationalized British petroleum because oh, he, wanted, he wanted a better deal for his people's oil. Eisenhower yeah. had Alan Dulles go over there and get rid of him. The same thing happened in Guatemala. Yes. The same thing happened in Colombia. It happened, it happened in Chile later on with Allende. These people 
who were for the 90%, 99% in their country were setting a bad example for the 1% who own us. Now, what happened is Garrison says on camera, there was no reason for a fake war or war with the Soviet Union because the Soviets had lost 25 million people. They are no threat to the United States. The threat is if you have a million and a half troops coming home, you have a depression ended only because of World War II. What are you going to do when you get these, these men home? How many Filcos can they make? How many refrigerators? How many cars? You're still going to have a depression. But you can make a bomb a day and have it explode and make a new bomb. Mm. The CIA, he said, John, look at all these organizations. We have 20 We have 20 intelligence organizations in this country. Why the CIA? To create a foreign policy for permanent war. And the person who drafted the program for project or for the Central Intelligence Agency was not an intelligence man, was not an army man. He was a Wall Street lawyer named James Forrestal. It was for Wall Street and the military-industrial complex that Eisenhower cowardly warned us about when he left office. He left a 43-year-old young man to take on that military apparatus run by the CIA, and he was no match for them. I want to I want to remind our listeners. I'm sorry. I want to just because people who are just tuning in, they want to uh, know who I'm speaking with. I'm Christine Blasdale, and in studio with me is John Barber. He is the director of the brand new documentary, "The American Media and the Second Assassination of President John F. Kennedy." We're going to play a clip. I want to play a clip so people get an idea a little bit about the the documentary. This is uh, the media and the CIA project Mockingbird. And I believe also in this clip is Fletcher Prouty is in this clip with Jim Garrison as well. Jim is, is, is in this clip as well. So, folks, you're going to hear from uh, – you'll hear Jim Garrison in this clip. We're going to go to a clip now, and I'm going to tell you folks, too, when we come back, why it's so important for you to get a hold of that documentary. Let's listen now to the American media and the second assassination of President John F. Kennedy. With the CIA's Mockingbird assets in place – Support for the CIA's plans for Cuba and Vietnam were gaining public traction. First, I want to say that there will not be under any condition an intervention in Cuba by United States Armed Forces. Reluctantly convinced by Alan Dulles and his associate Charles Cabell that a modest invasion by mostly anti-Castro Cubans at the Bay of Pigs would be so well received by the Cuban people it would result in a popular uprising against Fidel Kennedy approved it. From the beginning, it was a disaster. To attempt to salvage their obvious blunder, the CIA cried for air support, but the president had already said publicly, First, I want to say that there will not be under any condition be an intervention in Cuba by United States Armed Forces. Knowing an airstrike would give a lie to his young presidency, Kennedy turned the CIA down. It was the CIA's first failure. They were Many of the participants in the Bay of Pigs were on that landing force because I have known them personally. The CIA's codename for the operation at the Bay of Pigs was called Zapata, the name of George Bush's oil company. One of the boats was called Barbara, his wife, proving that George Bush was no small potatoes at the Central Intelligence Agency. 
President Kennedy publicly took the blame. Detailed uh, discussions are not to uh, conceal responsibility because I'm the responsible officer of the government. But he knew where the responsibility lay. He uh, fired Alan Dulles, longtime director of Central Intelligence, uh, General Cabell as deputy. And it's interesting to recall that General Cabell was brother of the mayor of Dallas at the time President Kennedy was killed. And John Kennedy's words when he, when he fired him were uh, roughly along these lines, that if this were England, I would have to go. But this is America, and you have to go. Kennedy was going to shatter the CIA in a thousand pieces. The gulf between Kennedy and the CIA has widened almost irreparably. Proof of that rift popped up on the front page of the New York Times in a column written by Arthur Kroc. Quote, if the United States ever experiences an attempt at a coup to overthrow the government, it will come from the CIA. The CIA media assets were now trumpeting the communist menace in Asia, along with the domino theory of collapsing nations. But on September 3, 1963, on CBS, sitting outdoors 50 days before his murder, President John Kennedy told Walter Cronkite there would be no Americans fighting in Vietnam. We would supply them, but it was their war. In the final analysis, it's their war. They're the ones who have to win it or lose it. We can help them, we can give them equipment, we can send our men out there as advisors, but they have to win it, the people of Vietnam, against the communists. In 1963, there were 1,200 what Eisenhower called advisors in Vietnam. John Kennedy said he was going to remove 1,000 a month over the year until there were none. With Vietnam and its profits possibly disappearing, the CIA was facing its second failure, the biggest in their unbothered history. The only one standing in their way was President John Kennedy. Their only ally in the White House, Lyndon Johnson. But rumors were strong that Lucky Lyndon would not even be on the 64 ticket. That was a certain Kennedy landslide. It wasn't that President Kennedy would remove his running mate, the law would. Bobby Baker, Johnson's longtime bagman, was being investigated for bribery in a vending machine scandal. The investigation of corruption led back to the 50s, straight to Lyndon Johnson. The first attempt on President Kennedy was thwarted in Chicago. But then there was the phone call to federal agents from a motel manager, concerned about what she saw in a room rented by two Cuban nationals. Had seen lying on the bed several uh, automatic rifles with telescopic sights with an outline of the route that President Kennedy was supposed to take. No word of the other possible assassin who resembled Lee Harvey Oswald or the two Cubans who were never detained was ever forwarded to Dallas. A second attempt soon thereafter in Miami where the motorcade was stopped and the president flown out by helicopter. The Central Intelligence Agency, except for Castro, had a 100% success record in eliminating heads of states. It was a program called the Family Jewels to eliminate the biggest head of state, their own president, with the help of the Dallas police and their media assets would be a no-risk operation. 
Oh, John Barber, you nailed it with that. Folks, that was a clip from the American media and the second assassination of President John F. Kennedy. You know this content you will never hear on any other media outlet. They've all been bought and sold. Project Mockingbird, look it up. Google it if you must. Project Mockingbird still exists. It was put into place to control you, the people, and you know that. And John, thank you. On behalf of the listeners, thank well, you. Uh, first of all, I must, I must thank you for the opportunity that you are giving me to expose this film because those of you who may remember me as the, uh, uh, the movie critic uh, at Los Angeles Magazine for 10 years— and for five years at uh, MSNBC with Tom Snyder and the 6 o'clock news, only did it three times a week. I never had a contract at NBC because they wanted to control or own what I wrote. And so I was fired two or three times for telling the truth on the air. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. You're my hero to, then. <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, when, when Tom Snyder left to go to the Tomorrow Show, the NBC management called me and said, for your last review on the air, John, would you review Tom live while he's sitting next to you? And I said I'd be happy to. And the closing line of the review was, Tom Snyder uh, is the kind of personality that gives you the impression the news is there to bring you him. Well, there was a spontaneous <laughs> eruption from the crew, and next week, Time Magazine, they quoted it, you know, because, and, and management used to get mad at me because I would write these jokes in my reviews, and they didn't want the crew laughing on a news show. But if you trusted my reviews, I'm going to say something right now that is going to shock you. If I said to you, what is the most important American movie ever, ever made, ever made? In this town, nobody can name it. I've asked a dozen people who are famous movie makers. They'll say Citizen Kane. No, that's not important. It's a great film. They'll say Gone with the Wind. No, it's a great film, but it's not important. important, What was important was JFK. Thank you. Because with JFK, it forced Congress to pass... The Assassinations Act and the CIA was forced to release documents. One of these documents is at the opening of the film that was released either on purpose by somebody at the CIA who said this is enough BS for America. Let them know the truth about what was done to the president by this agency or it came out on uh, on, on purpose. Okay, but the document dated 1967 proves that Jim Garrison was right when he announced, when he arrested Clay Shaw, the Central Intelligence Agency killed our president, and we will prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And the document tells the Central Intelligence Agency legal department to get Clay Shaw help. Otherwise, Jim Garrison is going to get a conviction in that courtroom for conspiracy. Now, listen to me. This is the most important American film since JFK. Mm. And I must tell you, even though I'm the filmmaker, as a critic, I would say it may be the most important American movie ever made. And if I were some of you, I wouldn't even go to see it if, as Jack Nicholson said in A Few Good Men, you can't handle the truth because it's going to shake you out of your comfort zone. I screened it once at the Texas Theater November 21st, the day before the killing, in Dallas at the Texas Theater where they arrested Lee Harvey Oswald, 300 people, a spontaneous 
standing ovation for 10 minutes at the end of the film. You will never see that in any other movie. To getting the truth out about this most amazing American Jim Garrison and the only peace president we've ever had. You know, nobody's busting down the door, John, and telling me, you can't talk about this stuff. You can't say these things. We are not controlled by the military-industrial complex. But when you pay your cable bill, when you pay your cable bill and you watch those programs, the news that you can trust and the only last word, blah, 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 bull, oni. I want to play a clip here. I really want to play another clip from this uh, this um, uh, documentary. I want to play it because it talks about the whole idea about Oswald as the patsy. Let's go now to a clip, a uh, real quick clip here, John. This is, oh, I, you know what, in my footnotes, you know what I put? I put, wow. <laughs> so that's all I'm going to say. When Christine writes, wow, that means you better listen to this clip. Let's listen now. As we understand it. No one actually saw this man pull the trigger of the rifle that apparently killed the president. Is that correct? That is correct up to this time in our investigation. Did you kill the president? No, I've not been charged with that. In fact, nobody has said that to me yet. Had he told anybody to kill the president? He hasn't admitted killing the president to anyone. I really don't know what the, what the situation is about. Nobody has told me anything except that of uh, murdering a policeman. How would you describe his mood during the questioning? As Very well? arrogant. <laughs> Listen to how one objective reporter poses his question. How do you sum him up uh, as a man, based on your experience with criminal types? I do request uh, someone to come forward to give me uh, a legal assistance. One of the arresting officers, Detective James Lavelle, who would accompany Oswald the next day to a safer county jail, was surprised at Oswald's calmness. His demeanor was uh, awfully calm. I know that I could not have answered the questions in the same manner that he did had I actually been guilty of killing two people. Two photographs of Oswald in his backyard posing with a rifle and what was identified as a communist newspaper were discovered by Dallas police and shown to Oswald. He claimed they were fake and would prove it. When they arrested him, he had over $3,000 worth of camera equipment, so he was no ordinary photographer. Stephen Jaffe, Jim Garrison's photo analyst, proved what Lee Harvey Oswald did not live to prove. Whoever framed Oswald evidently used only one picture of his face and planted it on someone else's body. Then to give the face on the right a different look, it seems they airbrushed some of the facial features and tilted the head slightly. And in doing so, they tilted the shadow under his nose. That it was one face is easily demonstrated. If you take the face on the right and superimpose it over the face on the left, the features line up. That was a clip from the American media and the second assassination of President John F. Kennedy. You've been hearing this for years. Let me tell you something. May 29th is John Kennedy's 100th birthday. This film of what this government and the CIA did to him is the only Chris, only real present, only real gift of truth that he will have because there will be a tsunami of garbage on the yeah. 29th on the mainstream media about what he did, but not what they did to him. Mm. In this uh, clip, this, this is just because it's so important. This is so important to remind people. 
over and over and over again. Uh, because we were, we were, I think, with the trauma of, of JFK, uh, we were suge- highly suggestive group of people. This country, uh, the rest of the world knows, but Americans were like in this, you know, uh, trance. This uh, clip talks about the that incredible single magic bullet, which we were all told to believe, the magic bullet theory, which is so bad and so ridiculous that the fact that anyone believed it is absolutely astonishing, but it also proves to the point how powerful their manipulation using the media, using the public airwaves. And um, I want you to listen to this clip. It's very, very important. Let's listen now to another clip from this incredible documentary, The American Media and the Second Assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Governor Connolly's persistent claim of not being hit by a first shot should have shocked down the entire Warren Commission. This magic bullet, Exhibit 399, had fewer grains missing than were found in the governor's body. But Senator Arlen Specter had a magic solution for the magic bullet called the magic bullet theory, which the commission accepted. It states, the bullet went through President Kennedy's neck without hitting bone magically deflected into Connolly's back, smashing four inches of his right rib, came out under his right nipple, deflected down, demolishing a large bone in his right wrist, deflected left, embedding in his left thigh. It stayed embedded until it got to Parkland Hospital, where it fell onto a stretcher, not Connolly's or President Kennedy's. On the evidence is that it is difficult to believe the single bullet theory, but to believe the other theories is even more difficult. The number of times the media or liberal foreign policy experts like Noam Chomsky questioned this Saturday Night Live cartoon of the magic bullet theory, zero. Uh, but it's, it's, just, it's a little bit like the uh, huge energy that's put out on trying to figure out who killed John F. Kennedy. I mean, yeah. Who knows? And who cares? I mean, plenty of people get killed all the time. Why does it matter that one of them happened to be John F. Kennedy? The word theory was fine as long as it supported the government's position. But soon as you'll see, it would be used by the CIA and their media assets to denigrate serious researchers and investigators. The committee still had the perfect witness. Jack Ruby. Fearing Oswald's fate, he begged Earl Warren and Gerald Ford to take him to Washington so he could tell his story. Again, they declined. After nine months of playing hide the truth, on September 24, 1964, the Warren Commission turned their findings over to President Johnson. Three days later, they published 26 volumes. No investigation could have been more painstaking than that carried out by this commission. Uh, Pictures aren't there uh, to be seen in their entirety. Individuals are not there to be questioned at any length because they have been removed. In other words, you're left with a ragtag handful of garbage. What possible evidence could these honorable men stuff into these 26 volumes to compel Jim Garrison to call it irrelevant garbage? To show you how how cosmic, how cosmically irrelevant the Warren Report is for the most part to hide those little rare pieces of relevance. One of the exhibits is classified in the front 
as a study of the teeth of Jack Ruby's mother. Even if Jack Ruby had intended to bite Oswald to death, that still would not have been relevant. One of the uh, items uh, of testimony which you would think is less significant goes on for more than 20 pages, and that's the testimony of the babysitter of Lee Oswald when he was three years old. This is how NBC's Frank McGee described the Warren Report. In 300,000 words of lean and orderly language, the Warren Commission makes these major findings. Lee Harvey Oswald assassinated President Kennedy. In NBC's report, they conveniently blacked out President Kennedy's press aide, Malcolm Kildoff pointing to the fatal headshot to the temple, as did Peter Jennings in his ABC special. Did Lee Harvey Oswald shoot President Kennedy? CBS News concludes that he did. Oh, God. <laughs> CBS News concludes that we have sold out and we're going to lie to you and lie to you and lie to you. That was a clip from the American media and the second assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Folks, you're going to find out so much information that you were not told, you've, that has been kept from you, that has been suppressed. But the most important thing, the thing that makes me really... When you see folks like Walter Cronkite and Dan Rather and these uh, major newscasters who have been so respected throughout the years, throughout all the decades, right, throughout all of the trials and tribulations and all the things, we tune into the, oh, let's listen to the news. We could trust this news. CBS says that this was what happened, so we better believe it. You will realize how you have been lied and manipulated our entire lives, but this, with this exact, this I mean, just that whole idea about the magic bullet theory. What a load of junk. Well, the, one of the most astonishing things to me in researching all this all this time, I have all his books, Noam Chomsky. I mean, he's oh, been called America's, Who leading, America's leading intellectual. And that soundbite of him saying, Who cares if John Kennedy is killed? A lot were killed. What's the difference? I almost started to cry. I couldn't believe it because people I admire like Chris Hedges think this man is a god. So I said to Chris, I'm sending you a clip of Noam Chomsky and you write me back and tell me if you think that man is one of our leading intellectuals. It is astonishing no matter what you think you know about this case, and a lot of you do, you are going to be astounded by what you learn in this film. And there are, I hate to say it, there are a lot of huge laughs. For example, the magic bullet thing. We do people on the street that make the most wonderful comments about this movie. And here was a guy who was shown the magic bullet theory. He couldn't stop laughing. We inserted it. The media collusion with the intelligence agencies has been around for a very long time. And if you do not believe me, I'm going to play a short clip right now from John's film. John knows because John's, John's been a part of the, the media. He, was, he knows exactly what's going on, and he put it in this film. And you're going to hear, Christine. You're going to hear Dan Rather, and you're going to hear Walter Cronkite, and you're going to hear how they would lie to you. Because they're supposed to. While these honorable men were manufacturing their proof that Oswald did it, they were getting an assist from CBS. The head of CBS, Bill Paley, had been involved with the CIA from the time that it was the OSS. He'd always been a loyalist to him. 
and CBS invested their own credibility in this at the very, very beginning. At the moment of the release of the report, they were in the middle of a two-hour special backing the report before it had ever been released. A recently released CBS memo reveals the person helping craft their specials was none other than John J. McCloy, one of the honorable gentlemen on the commission, a commission which has not yet announced its conclusions. It had reached its conclusions, it just hadn't announced them yet. Jim Garrison said that even honorable men know that the most important thing in a murder investigation is the autopsy. Some of the America's finest path uh, forensic pathologists, medical people who perform autopsies in the Washington, D.C. area, stood by their telephones that evening when the president's body was returned to Washington, D.C., but they were never called. They missed the wound in the front of the president's neck. The reality had to be turned upside down and illusion created so that it looked as if he was shot from the back. So one of the ways they had to create that illusion was to get control of the pathologists and the people handling the autopsy. One of the ways that was done was by having the, the autopsy in its entirety, supervised by generals and admirals. The individuals in charge of the autopsy selected two administrators, individuals who had rarely performed autopsies, the president got a, an autopsy that wouldn't have been acceptable for a Bowery bum. But Oswald got a, an autopsy fitting of a president. There aren't any real questions about Oswald's autopsy. And there are nothing but questions about the president's autopsy. Had this case ever gone to court, these pathologists would have been destroyed on cross-examination by a competent defense attorney. The bullet that struck President Kennedy from the back hit him in the back, just below the right shoulder blade, as verified by the holes in his jacket and shirt. The commission had the power to look at these x-rays and photographs. Instead, they chose to look at cartoon drawings showing them the trajectory of the bullet. Oh, you gotta be kidding me! The Warren Commission, with the help of CBS, had to prove that Oswald was a remarkable marksman, capable of firing three accurate shots in less than 5.6 seconds, as indicated by the Zapruder film. Marine Corps records show Oswald had attained the rank of sharpshooter. Oswald's Marine roommate, Nelson Delgado, in spite of FBI harassment, stuck to his guns about Oswald's lack of skill same thing when they took the body away. They violated the state the laws of the state of Texas and they had no jurisdiction over it. Doctors and hospital personnel complained that the Secret Service with guns drawn removed the 46-year-old president's body before an autopsy could be done as required by Texas law. The uh, coroner in Dallas tried to stop them. You know, stood in front of the coffin and said, no, I'm not going to, and they moved him aside by force. Jackie thought she was accompanying her husband's body back on Air Force One, but it was being shipped back separately in a helicopter. It has been arranged to helicopter, helicopter the body to Bethesda. Lyndon Johnson on his way to the White House being sworn in as a new president on Air Force One is caught in this photograph getting a congratulatory wink from Texas Congressman Albert Thomas. The entire media saw this photograph and ignored it. The new president, Lyndon Johnson, landed in D.C. in the dead of night to address the nation for the first time and had to read about his grief from a slip of paper. For me, it is a deep personal tragedy. 
Former Dallas police officer Napoleon J. Daniels tells Mark Lane, who actually let Ruby into the I basement. I noticed Officer Vaughn standing in the, uh, on the Main Street ramp. Yes, he was a white man, about weighed about 175, and uh, had on a blue suit, about 5'9". My first impression was that he had a gun in his pocket, and then uh, I didn't think too much about it because Officer Vaughn didn't challenge him, he just let him go on down in just before 12.20 p.m. Sunday, November 23, 1963, almost 24 hours after the horrifying public execution of President John F. Kennedy, the world was about to see another public execution of a man who would never get his day in court alive and, as you will see, would be unconstitutionally denied his day in court dead. Oswald expired at 1.07 p.m. He died. The news and media announced quickly that Ruby killed Oswald because he felt bad for Jackie. That he had killed Oswald out of anger and a desire to shield Jacqueline Kennedy from the ordeal of a trial at which she would have had to appear as a witness. But that is not actually what Jack Ruby said. The people had, had so much to gain and and have such a material motive for putting me in a position I'm in. We'll never let the true facts come of our boards to the, to the world. Are these people in very high positions yet? Yes. With President Kennedy gone, Lee Harvey Oswald gone, any investigation gone, so was our foreign policy and world peace to this day. Did he change the foreign policy of the United States in, with regard to Asia within 72 hours? As a matter of fact, he changed it on the following Sunday. He met with the chiefs of staff, and in effect, his message was, tell them in Vietnam that everything's changed 180 degrees. We're going to back them all the way. Well, of course, you don't make decisions like that uh, until, as, as you know, you have months of position papers. One of the pieces of paper is this Memorandum 273, drafted the day before President Kennedy's murder by McGeorge Bundy. It reversed the President's Vietnam withdrawal policy. Bundy was President Kennedy's hawkish military advisor, identified later as Alan Dulles' man in the White House. Immediately afterwards, Bundy joined President Johnson as a major architect of the war he always wanted. Any possible investigation into the president's murder or Oswald's murder was thwarted by our new government with its questionable setting up of the Warren Commission. Also gone was American journalism. There's not too much enthusiasm on the part of the federal government in digging up evidence involving the Central Intelligence Agency in the murder of a well-loved president. So in this particular case, the solution chosen was to form a commission of honorable men, but honorable men who were reliable, that uh, could be counted on to conceal the truth. On November 29, 1963, seven days after the brutal murder of his predecessor, LBJ set up what was officially called the President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy. If you Google Wikipedia, the new establishment's media source for information, 
This is how Wikipedia describes the public savage slaughter of President Kennedy and the purpose of the new commission. Quote, mandating the testimony of witnesses and the production of evidence concerning the infraction in Dallas on November 22nd, 1963. Fraction? This is not like getting caught passing a note at school. You've got to be kidding me. It became known as the Warren Commission because President Lyndon Johnson had to convince a very reluctant Supreme Court Justice Earl Warren he was needed to help calm the people because LBJ warned him that there was a possibility of Russian involvement in the murder. This could be some kind of conspiracy involving the Soviet Union. And uh, that was such a horrible thing to try to think of. They could miscalculate in that kind of a way Doomsday was pretty darn close. After probably initially saying no 30 times, Chief Justice Warren comes out of the Oval Room with tears running down his face. And for reasons uh, which I think were probably essentially altruistic, has regarded to head an investigation in which he knows the result has to be, uh, in one way or another, has to be false. After securing Chief Justice Earl Warren, LBJ needed six more honorable men. The first he picked was Alan Dulles, fired by President Kennedy. The number of times this non-objective appointment was questioned by the New York Times, the Washington Post, or Time Magazine, or any other media in the country, zero. Not one of the appointments was a Kennedy supporter. Three of the other seven honorable members were Republican Representative Gerald Ford, Democrat Representative Hale Boggs, and former World Bank Chairman John J. McCloy, whose policies President Kennedy publicly opposed. The appointment of a banker accidentally brought to light one of the media's never-reported, continually important facts of Kennedy's murder. Not only was the peace president's foreign policy overturned overnight, so was his domestic economic policy. In June of 1963, President Kennedy signed Executive Order 11110. This called for the Treasury, as mandated by the Constitution, to print money redeemable in silver. For five months, the Treasury did. Had they continued, it would have, in essence, put out of business the privately owned banking cartel still running America today, known as the Federal Reserve. The day President Kennedy died, so did the printing presses, and never mentioned by the media. After the announcement by the unquestioning press of the committee headed by LBJ's squeaky cleaner Earl Warren, one humorist described it as Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. If, if today someone, or even at that time, someone wanted, some judge said, this is a story about an abused child who was sexually abused or some other salacious rape case or something, I don't want this to be public, the ACLU would be knocking on the federal courthouse with an injunction on behalf of CBS, the New York Times, the Washington Post, we have a right to know, etc. This is the investigation, hearings into the death of the President of the United States. There was not an editorial in the New York Times or the Washington Post or any other newspaper in America for nine months as the hearings went on, saying, open the door. And that was a clip from the American media and the second assassination of President John F. Kennedy. If you'd like to find out more information, I encourage you to 
go on the uh, go on the internet and find. Uh, in particular, you can go to the website. The official website for the film is JFK Media assassinationcom or you can go to Facebook and look up the American Media and the Second Assassination of President John F. Kennedy to get more information about this important documentary that you definitely need to see. We're going to play more clips from this important documentary uh, done by my dear friend John Barber. In this clip, we're going to discover a little bit more about the mysterious deaths of eyewitnesses and how average citizens have have gone on to do their own research into the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And you're going to also hear from uh, Jim Garrison's own investigation. So we're going to play a little bit more. This is, again, the American media and the second assassination of President John F. Kennedy brought to you from the incredible filmmaker John Barber. Let's listen now. Robert Penn Jones, a small independent newsman from Midlothian, Texas, self-published Forgive My Grief, in which he explores what the commission and the media purposely avoided, the mysterious deaths of crucial witnesses. A housewife on her own did the impossible, the only person to catalog every tidbit of information in the purposely unreadable 26 volumes. Sylvia Marr, author of Accessories After the Fact. Beverly Hills housewife and mother Mae Brussel took to public radio. Next to Mark Lane, she became the most listened to voice in America on the assassination and government black ops. The granddaughter of the founder of iMagden, she too believed the press and the Warren Report until she saw Ruby kill Oswald. Some of those people that played a role in the murder of John Kennedy. Covering up is as much a crime as during the actual shooting the people who shot and the people who covered have never been charged with that crime. With more and more books and critics popping up, the groundswell about our government was becoming a big mountain of doubt, which the CIA had to quickly try to reduce to a molehill. Thus, CIA Memorandum 1035-960. This memorandum states, the aim is to provide material discrediting the conspiracy theorists, use of friendly politicians and editors pointing out communist propaganda, explain 10 or more deaths in a more natural way. This memo also singles out Joaquin Justin, Penn Jones, and of course, Mark Lane. And the CIA started a propaganda campaign, a global propaganda campaign, to label these people conspiracy theorists and to uh, you know, ridiculed them and say that they were just doing it to make money or they had, uh, they were in love with their own theories or they were under the, the uh, control of, of uh, communist propagandists. Firing line. One of the first to follow this CIA memo is, of course, their own William F. Buckley. I think of you as somebody who is trying to rescue uh, uh, Oswald uh, uh, as the putative killer. But since I know because Oswald was a communist, this is the effect of your book, isn't it? No, it raised. I think my book shows quite conclusively that shots came from at least two directions, and at the law, conspiracy is nothing more, of course, than two or more persons acting in concert to effect an illegal end. So the book says there was a conspiracy to kill the president. I, I think that competent pathologists 
should have examined these invaluable documents and rendered an opinion to the Commission. And today, independent experts not associated with the government should be given the right to do that. Don't you believe that's so? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Marx, consistently talking only about evidence, forced the FBI to contact producers of television and radio shows, warning them not to book them. He still spoke to hundreds of sold-out crowds. His growing popularity, along with that of his fellow critic Dick Gregory, was making the establishment very, very nervous. Mark Lane, for example, the most vocal of all the critics, has a theory of his own. Fighting back again with only his pen, Mark cataloged the media's collusion and continuing cover-up in another bestseller, Citizen's Dissent. I certainly wouldn't say with confidence uh, that we would make uh, uh, arrests and have convictions afterwards if I did not know that we had solved the, the, the assassination of President Kennedy beyond any shadow of a doubt. Uh, the media and government's attacks on Mark Lane would escalate when he joined District Attorney Jim Garrison's investigation after the arrest of Clay Shaw. Because of, of my military service and uh, and, and both World War II and the National Guard, I had acquired, you might say, a, um, could you call it an authority syndrome? Uh, I just simply didn't question a government conclusion on a matter like that. I did, could not believe at the time of the Warren Commission announcement and investigation that the federal government, first of all, could uh, have anything to do with the assassination and in any case that it would cover it up. What was never reported by the media was that this former FBI officer, Air Force veteran, and politically independent district attorney initially believed the Warren report until an accidental meeting with Senator Hale Boggs in Washington. That there might be a, a cover-up by the government, and uh, his words were, uh, were along the line of, uh, well, that's a mild way to put it. That was a clip from the American media and the second assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Thank you, John. Thank you so much for the work. You've, you really, like I said, um, I've been doing this a long, long time, and, uh, and it's rare that I find something that is this powerful and because it's about revealing the truth, no matter what. Speaking truth to power is what it is. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank, Thank you, so much. you for the magnificent job of producing this hour. That was totally outstanding and totally unexpected. And folks, I'm telling you, you're in for a monumental treat when you see this on a large screen. Go to the website. The official website for the film is jfk-media-assassination.com. Or you can go to Facebook and look up the American media and the second assassination of President John F. Kennedy. And listeners, I want to thank you so very much for joining us this week. Remember to tune in next week for another episode of Out of the Box Radio. And if you want to make sure that you never miss a program, you can subscribe to this podcast. You can subscribe uh, on YouTube. You can also subscribe on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spreaker, and uh, anywhere there's a podcast download program, you can access this show. Until next time, I want to remind you to always think outside of the box. Bye for now.